welcome once again to Friday edition of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh. I'm Randy. And I'm Mike. And we're the Dicemen. So, hey, welcome to the show. And we're coming at you from the Autonomous Gaming Citadel, located here in beautiful Battle Creek. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, we have... Savoring the warm weather while it lasts. Well, I just got a message on Twitter from uh, Wheeler Woe. About their dice bag coming in. So, oh, it arrived. Wonderful. I'm so happy. Yeah. So, I uh, got some pictures of that. You can see it on Twitter. So, uh, we're also going to get into our module tonight. So, we're going to uh, get into that uh, post haste. So, um, yeah, it may not be bards, but I'm actually in a really happy place here as we draw to the end of the year here, because uh, doing a module pick apart on what I consider a terrific classic, both in the meta and micro senses, uh, Bone Hill. But we're not we're not going to delve into all the secrets of Bone Hill just yet. First, we've got call-ins. Call-ins, 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 call-ins from our listeners. Yes, and that's our music to get into and our first one up is from Tim Shorts from Stately Gothridge Manor. Ah, with its faint air of clove. Mm, ah, yes. Can you smell it? So we're gonna get right into it. So take it away, Tim. Hey Mike and Randy, this is Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor. Enjoying the first part of the uh favorite modules adventures and and uh yeah, you can't go wrong. I always love doing this stuff. I know a lot of people do them, but I always like to have everyone else do them because there's so many good ones to choose from and all. And to see where people's uh, particular tastes lie. And since you guys did it, hell, I might do it too. That's, it might be a fun one to do the next, you know, favorite two, favorite three, you know, adventures because they always seem to switch for me. They, they, it is fluid because there's so many close and and then some seem to rear their heads and seem better at a different time than another time. So, all right, guys, keep up the great work. And I'll probably call back after listening to part two. All right, that was Tim Shorts. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, and good topic idea, too. I mean, uh, I'm actually interested in hearing what some of the other podcasters out there uh, select for their favorite modules of all time. Uh, it really was a kind of a hit episode for us. So, and I actually discovered you know, things about a couple of modules that I really didn't know that much about. At least one, uh, the one you mentioned, one of your favorites. Oh, yeah, uh, Before the Lost City. Yeah, I did not. That was one that escaped my radar back in the day. I'd never actually put my hands on a copy of it before. So getting the inside skinny was an eye-opener, as well as just getting the gush over my favorites. Yeah. So who else have we got here? Well, we also have a Holiday Greeting from Darren Green, and uh, oh, we'll get to that one in just a second, but uh, it applies to everybody out there. Uh, we hope you have a great holiday season. Yeah! And of course, uh, as we're coming up on it, uh, make sure you get some good gaming in and let us know what some of the gaming you got, and uh, we'll bring that up probably at the start of next year. Yeah. Because oh, Tuesday we'll be, we'll have... Uh, do, we, do we do our Division of Treasure... We, yeah, we do the sheet breakdown, and you're like, "Okay, you get the flask, and 
you know, with the mysterious liquid, I get the plate of magic cookies. And, yeah. Yeah, something like that. We'll, yeah. We'll do our treasure divvy up uh, at the beginning of the new year. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, take it away, Darren Green. Hi, guys. Arfid here. Just calling in in case I don't get a chance before. Um, just to wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year um, to you and all your family. Hope you have a, a bit of gaming over the Christmas break and uh, look forward to listening to your podcast again next year. Take it easy. All right, and thank you, Derry Green, for that nice holiday wish. And that extends to all of our listeners out there, all tens of our listeners. Tens. Yes, Joyu Noel. Yeah. Uh, Merry, Merry Christmas to all. To all a good night. It's the season of goodwill, uh, so this will be our our sign off episode until just after Christmas. Yeah, we'll have a post Christmas one, and then we'll have one for the new year next Tuesday. So we will be uh, broadcasting or podcasting next Tuesday. So, all right then. Well, we've teased about it long enough. Tonight we're doing Bone Hill Module L One, the Secret of Bone Hill, and it's a classic. And uh, this is a meaty one. So we're going to tackle it in our true fashion. We're going to wander all over the place and say things <laughs> that uh, have no meaning to anybody but us. So get ready. Um, yeah, we're going to amble and meander, which, honestly, this module lends itself to really well. Uh, letting the players just, you know, give them some rope. Let them hang themselves. Uh, you know, you can, you can let players travel, wander, uh, encounter, and... Pursue particular quest lines to your heart's content with this one, which is why we picked this. It's yeah. just that good. Well, this is, uh, it comes from the early days of TSR, but uh, it was also at the kind of cusp of the golden age. So we won't get too much into the history of this other than that it has been around for a long time. And the reason why we picked this is because it's less of a module, which is yeah, like White Plume Mountain is kind of a one-and-done sort of situation. Yeah, it may take you several sessions to delve all the uh, mysteries and stuff like that, but once you're done, you're done. Bone Hill is a campaign fully fleshed out and ready to go, and it is a sandbox campaign, but it has some plots going through it that you can weave in or the players can find, however you want to do it. Yeah, very much in the tradition, although this is an advanced D&D supplement as mm -hmm. opposed to Caves of Chaos, which, while Caves of Chaos may have been ideally suited for basic campaigns, uh, the truth is it was a well-fleshed-out sandbox campaign area. Uh, it was it was a module designed for that. Now this, Secret of Bone Hill, uh, is Len Lakofka's offering to that concept. It is a complete sandbox area where you can do your little hex crawls, yep. uh, you can go beat stuff up in the forests, uh, wander the hills and dales, or delve down into some strange dark dungeons. Uh, all the options are on the table, up to and including political intrigue. Yeah, and you have the option to add your own stuff as you go through. So. Oh yeah, of course. The DM is the ultimate editor. So. Yeah, you can add your own stuff as well, and it's not going to you know crowd out anything that's already there. So starting out this one when you. Uh, it's recommended for uh, character levels from 2 to 5, which is kind of odd. Most of them are 1 to 3. Yeah. And uh, this one's, uh, you have to kind of start out with a party of well, second level characters. So we're just going to flip right to the back here. There's pre-generated characters. Yeah, they slapped that together as a pre-offering to you. Again, yeah. this was a little thoughtfulness 
that was a consideration that was made in certain older modules. They would provide you with a quick list that you could slap together on paper for a pickup group. Right, and as we go here, we're going to pick out the fighter, which is a human male, uh, fourth level. He has a plus one longsword and a potion of extra healing. And we're going to go with the human male cleric, third level. Um, he just has uh, two vials of holy water, but, uh, you know, he has chain mail and shield. And we're going to go with the female elf magic user with bracers of defense. AC7 is her magic item. And her spell book fully kitted out, ready to go. And a druid, human female, third level, with plus one quarter staff. And I'll throw in there a male gnome thief with second level. With a plus one short sword, detects magic one round per turn. And we'll uh, round it up with the ranger. Uh, male, half elf at third level with plus one chain mail and plus one shield. Man, that guy got good stuff. <laughs> and so you're ready to go with that party. And uh, that's a pretty good one. Um, so Yeah, any variation of the offered stuff is fine, or people's own groups. Yeah, you but, can create your own, but that's what we're going with is our... Nice mix of second, third, fourth level-esque, you know. Yeah, you, so you can throw a little bit at them, and they're not completely overwhelmed. Uh, they've got some magic items, weapons, and they're well-geared for most combats. So... Yeah, this module does not throw a lot of impossible tasks in front of uh, fairly new characters. It, it does, however throw some challenging scenarios where you're, you're going to want more than just a handful of hit points. Now, the play starts at uh, Rustinford, and it's on the Isle of Lendor, which is in uh, the southernmost area of the world of Greyhawk. Uh, Lendor's Isles is, uh, kind of has some um, connotations to happenings, like uh, had an orc invasion at one point. It has scattered communities of humans, demi-humans, and humanoids all over the place, so... Yeah, so it's not unusual to encounter elves, dwarves, gnomes, uh, you know, halflings and whatnot uh, scattered about the place. So all of the standard uh, fantasy races are yeah, nicely nothing... entrenched, nothing unusual or exceptional about them. And, of course, it has a random wilderness encounter table, so when you're ever traveling in the wilderness, you can always throw stuff at them. But we're going to start at Reston Ford. So I'm going to turn Mike over here to uh, how you would start the characters out in arriving in Rustinford. Now, uh, I, I do want to pause for one moment to mention that back at the beginning, this module actually includes a rumors table. Oh, yeah. With cues as to what persons might know about rumors. I'm not going to go into the full details and spill all the beans, uh, but it has a, you know, percental dice uh, chart that you can use to determine if the characters encounter somebody with a reasonable number of rumors or uh, a very small number of rumors or none at all. And further, the rumors are not all accurate, and it has been spelled out for the DM using a mixture of regular print and italics so that the DM will know which items are not true. Uh, if the player characters drift into town and start taverning it up and asking questions and seeing what's out there, there are equal chances that they will get BS'd. Mm -hmm. uh, that they will be sold a false line of goods. You're like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, like there's a perfectly safe place to camp over at this location uh, out in the wilderness. Yeah, best spot you could possibly find. And that area actually happens to be 
you know, regularly patrolled by hostile humanoids. Um, or it can lead them down a blind alley searching for somebody they think is evil enough to know good, when in fact there is no one doing any such thing. Further, right out of the gate, this thing goes through a, this module goes through a section about the wilderness areas surrounding Reston Ford. Yeah, with uh, connotations on what animals you could encounter there that are not directly hostile, I mean, and also the trees, which you have a druid, so they're going to know all about trees. Yes. And uh, the fauna. Uh, you That way the DM has the ability to answer the druid's questions. Yeah, uh, so when a druid cast speak with animals and ask the squirrels what's up, and the squirrels say, well, you know, what's up here? Yes, speak with animals, you're my very best friend, because you've allowed me to play geese, geese ducks, <laughs> Round squirrels, badgers, <laughs> snakes, Ooh, owls, angry badgers, hawks, badgers, 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 badgers. Yep. Okay, we're not going to go there. Uh, no, it covers all the areas surrounding the actual community of Restonport, including Guardian Peak, Lark Hill, High Top, Low Point, the Ready Forest, the Dwemer Forest, Bald Hill, Bone Hill and the Dead Forest, Pebble Hills, Tritop, Kilman Wood, Spring Glade. These are just a few of the names of places tucked around the wilderness. And the wilderness areas include their own encounter tables. So you can literally keep your players busy with just the stuff that occurs randomly. Yeah. Um, so, which is a thing that I still homage to this day in every handwritten material yeah. that I put, I bring together. I have a preset list of potential encounters based on percentile dice that I assemble for that specific region. And also layers of monsters and challenges therein. Yeah. Those areas, like the Dead Forest is well sketched out and kind of really deadly. Now that brings us back to Reston Ford proper, which... Uh, yeah, we'll go back here. The, Excuse us. As we turn the pages, you can hear them. Yes. That's authentic rustling. Pages are yellowed, too. This is just like, you know, ancient parchment here with, uh, you know, really old staples. Yeah. <laughs> They're starting to show their age. Now, as we come here, what, where would we start the uh, adventure? Well, none other than a tavern. And there are several taverns here. But uh, let's pick uh, Falco's Tavern. Because I just like Falco, you know, because... It's Falco. Yeah, all right. Uh, and there's our, <laughs> there's our giving away our age, uh, 80s pop reference. Uh, oh, God, what was that song? Um, I think Blood Gang did that. Fucking Falco and shit. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, I, I have long since forgotten what hit it was that Falco did, but it was only the one, and that's it. Nobody else remembers Yeah, them. nobody else remembers them. Except Blood uh, Gang. <laughs> But they have outlined uh, not only the castle and keep and nobility that are in place in Restonford, but also a number of small inns and stores. Uh, if you get to the, the point on uh, Restonford, the town, it's page 21 of the module. Uh, and they've got the Fletcher, who makes arrows. Uh, That's what Fletchers do? Just easy. Well, I, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty sure arrows uh, and bows are actually, uh, <laughs> yeah. although that would be a bowyer. 
the Fletcher makes arrows. Yeah. Uh, and then next they've got the store with the half-elf that is devoted to the sale of fine food and drink in particular. So, like, please note that they, they lent a little character to this store. It's not just the general store. store. Area 3. Yeah, you know, it, it may be Area 3 in the module, but uh, it's a rather unique person. Uh, now, there's a distillery... An armorer, a cobbler, a smith, a bowyer. And that brings us finally to number 14, Falco's Tavern. Operated by two dwarves, a fighter, and his assistant. Uh, Falco, the owner. Uh, leather armor, ring of protection plus two, and a short sword plus one. Just a first level fighter who clearly got his paws on just enough cash to open a bar. Uh, never really pushed the edge there as a warrior. Yeah, and as you see there, Falco, you know, they give you four rooms, so that would be a good place to get the campaign off to a start, and there's lots of rumors. And also, they like to play darts. Yeah, 11 silver pieces a night for rooms. Uh, not too bad, but, you know, a reasonable quality place that isn't too dangerous. And since they like to play darts, they actually included in the explanation section for Falco's Tavern uh, a die 20 roll for uh, how to determine the outcome of a darts game against Falco, uh, since he particularly enjoys, and, you know, if you feel like uh, losing a few coins to the owner of the bar uh, and getting him in a good disposition and hearing some rumors, well, uh, you know, losing well, there a, you go. letting go of a little loose change and having a nice game is a good way to get on the right footing with him. And that uh, precludes you of having to work, look for the mysterious stranger with the glowing exclamation mark over his head. Uh, later, there's a couple of other taverns. There's the Inn of the Dying Minotaur. Yeah, one of my favorites. <laughs> with Gelkup, the innkeeper. Who, a zero leveler who often claims to have killed the, Militor, the Minotaur himself. <laughs> yeah, it's mounted above the bar. Yeah. Uh, there's some there's some audience for you. <laughs> and uh, the Tavern of the West Wind. Oh, yes. Uh, operated by two magic users, both of whom have families. Uh, <laughs> uh, rowdy patrons who are rude to people could be mildly poisoned with knockout drops. Uh, <laughs> uh, yep. Just to get them quiet and out of the place. They they don't just go and kill people or anything, okay, but they just, you're like, oh, we got one of those in here. <clears throat> somebody's going to be breaking chairs over somebody's head soon. Hey, have a little drink on the house. Whoop. Boom, they're out. <laughs> so yeah, you have a plethora of uh, places. Can I say three is a plethora? Sure I can. Um, but I would like to make a pause here for some Greyhawk geekery. The Abbey of Falcon is predominantly uh, presented here, and Glenn Lagopla went ahead with the Gods of the Sewell in his uh, Gods of Greyhawk articles in Dragon Magazine. And Falcon is, uh, of course, one of his creations, and God of the Air, kind of good, kind of elfy god flies around because he has wings, but Falcon is well misspelled, but it's said the same way, Falcon. Oh, yeah. Uh, P-H-A-U-L-K-O-N. Mm-hmm. The Abbey of Falcon uh, in areas 16 and 17. So for us Greyhawk lore nerds, this was a big one. That, you know, <laughs> hey, well, is he a really popular in Lundor? Yeah, he is. He's a sewer guy. But more on that later. Um, Yeah, they include the curate of the temple and, uh, you know, the 
priest, a, a fighter adept, and some oculates that are hanging out, uh, mm -hmm. little low levelers, working on their set, trying to work their way to their second level. Uh. <laughs> yep, and then there's the, uh, you know, Peltar, the wizard, who stays at the keep and all that, and as well as finally come to the the guard at the uh, edge of town, where there is an old abandoned thieves' guild area, uh, kind of a smuggler area, which is good for starting you out. And I think as a game master, just to get people uh, started, I would start them at uh, Falco's Tavern, have them hear some rumors about somebody uh, seeing some giant rats or some mischief or being around there. Yeah, abandoned buildings that uh, may have been inhabited by giant rats. And like every great adventure starts with giant rats. Rats, yeah. <laughs> and let's remember that this was written in 1981. And in the intervening years since then, every freaking video game you have ever played, fantasy role-playing style, you start off beating up some giant rats in the cellar. And you're not disappointed because as you start, you go to the uh, guard there, who has the old man, as he's called, the caretaker. And he's a grizzled but tough bald fighter with some studded leather armor plus two. Hell yeah. And a ring of free action. And a net of entrapment, so... You're yeah. probably not going to murder Hobo, that guy. Yeah, given that he's like level four and, uh, you know, he's packing some good gear. And some yeah. got some vicious dogs with him. Yeah, a couple of war dogs. Um, good luck ticking him off. Uh, yep, but then uh, that's where we'd start is going into the old guard station that was the lair of a thieves' guild, we'll find out later. And that leads you to some encounters with some uh, giant rats, of course, and then some undead. <laughs> Yeah, a kitchen and pantry with two ghouls and a couple of zombies in it that just immediately go after you, walking dead style. Yep, and that would be a good first encounter with your session zero right there. It's just get you started in Reston Ford, get your feet uh, planted firmly with your group, and start moving outwards from there. Like Mike said, the, the store there, you could start uh, giving it a name. So why don't we give the store a name? I mean, it just wouldn't be called store. What would it be called? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, he's a purveyor of fine food and drink. Yeah, so... so. Uh, hmm. I know. The Brass Jug. Oh, well, all right. That's a good quality one. The Brass Jug. Uh, yeah, so you call it the Brass Jug, and you hear about that, and go there and do some of your interim shopping and rations, and you get your information from the town. Now, also, the player characters start with a few. Hmm. And, uh, you know, also provided in Lendor, or excuse me, the uh, Sinister Secret, ah, Sinister Secret, my fanny, it's the secret of Bone Hill, are some uh, NPCs that can help round out your party. Yeah, you do have hireables here. There are people that you can form some small alliance with uh, or purchase their assistance through cash. Uh, which, if you have a limited group of player characters and they have not selected a well-balanced party, the means are there to help round out the party. So, once again, this is another thing linking back to our primary point about how great this, this particular module is in that it has already had material prepared for the DM for these eventualities. You don't have to wing it nearly so much. Yeah, so you could encounter Tolvar. Oh, Tolvar, the conjurer. 
A third level magic user with Bracers of Defense AC9, a Ring of Protection plus one, and a nice bull spellbook uh, with several of the classics, Sleep, Charm, Person, Invisibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not overly offensive, but uh, hey, useful. And Well, yeah, and I mean, over time and play, uh, you can certainly, you know, enhance his powers by swapping a few spells with Oh, him. yeah, and he's obviously, that's a good way to trade with player characters. But for a good offer, he'll become a henchman. Uh, and a half-orc, female, cut-purse swordswoman... Uh, Lucinda. Let's see. Third level fighter, third level thief. Oh, yeah. Uh, 21 hit points. That's pretty tough. Uh, leather armor and a broadsword plus one. Willing to hire on for expeditions. She is an adventuress who recently arrived on the island. Uh, and, of course, we gotta have the classic homage to Lord of the Rings. Martin Strider. Ranger. <laughs> no, I think Strider was a a level title. Oh, that, that's right. Uh, yep. Ranger Strider. Ranger of the second level. Uh, Look at them hit points, though. 27! Holy cow, that guy's tough. Yeah, that's the guy you really want to bring along with you, because uh, those early Ranger hit points in the first edition of D&D, uh, that extra hit die really counts. You can always put... Well, I mean, assuming you have a Ranger in your party who's willing to go to the front, not just hide in the back with a bow. Well... I guess he's going to because he's got a uh, broadsword plus one. A lot of broadswords in this module, just as a side note. But uh, he hires on, and uh, he's a uh, hireable, but you can't detect magic or alignment on him. He gets a little unnerved on that. He likes to be taken on his word. And my, the fourth one, my favorite one. <laughs> Volsivar, a waghalter, an assassin of the third level. Uh, kitted out with... Just terrific gear here. This guy's got a ring of protection plus one, a broadsword, a sling of seeking plus two, a dagger of venom, a ring of spell storing with mask alignment, and dispel magic. Uh, <laughs> he's lawful evil, but will pass himself off as lawful neutral. Uh, and, you know, he's not actually likely to murder a party member, even for quick money. However, uh, if personal animosity builds up, then, you know, he might, might take out revenge on that one individual and then run for it. But if you save his life in a direct manner, he will be loyal, as he is highly lawful. Uh, and as a third-level assassin, he has first-level thief abilities, and he will pass himself off as a second-level thief. Uh, with a strange per, uh, proficiency with shields. Hmm. Well, now, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. he, uh, listed in his equipment, he's not packing a shield. I know, but so, that's what assassins, you know. That's all anybody needs to know about him. Shields? Uh, I've never used one of those before. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, assassins in first edition, they can use shields because they might have to impersonate another class. Correct. They might pose as a fighter. Or in some cases, pose as a mage or anything else. The later of levels of assassin included disguise abilities that let them pass themselves off as other classes and other types of character races. You know, if mm -hmm. anything that wasn't too extreme, they could pull off. Yeah, and he's there kind of as he can help out. And, uh, you know, as long as there aren't too many good characters, he's pretty willing to stay on and be loyal. Yeah, slap on a little set of Spock ears and pretend you're an elf. You know, uh, they can pull off all kinds of tricks. So that it's not all bad having an assassin in the party. Yeah, so your first session, you've got it pretty well laid out, and now you're ready to go out in the wilderness. So 
you know, maybe they'll go traipsing up. Yeah, if they've managed to beat their way through the Thieves' Guild, uh, then they're ready to go out and face the world. Um, and those in wilderness encounter tables include lots of gnoll encounters. Because mm -hmm. uh, there is a batch of gnolls in the area. And one of their patrols could easily beat up unprepared first-level oh, characters. Yeah. So, you know, you got a handful of second- to fifth-level characters. You can probably get your way through this. Uh, as long as you don't hit them with all the gnolls at once. Now, just to give you some back history, uh, people like to hear tales. I started this off with my paladin. Right. Second level with a plus one two-handed sword. And the first thing we did after leaving was hit the gnolls. We heard about the gnolls up in there, and we decided that was where we're going to go, and we had a ranger with us, so the ranger led us right there. Oh. And having a ranger and druid in this one is a really nice combination because your chances of getting lost are pretty small. Yeah, this is both an indoor and outdoor adventure, uh, with segments of it being entirely held outdoors and other segments being dungeon crawls. So having that mixed skill set where you've got some people ready for del dungeon delves and some people ready for forest hex crawls, perfect combo. At least one of the two, a druid and or a ranger, should be in the mix somewhere. Yeah, and this is one where you're not uh, curtailed as a druid because you're not continually inside in a dungeon environment. Now, the actual area known as Bone Hill. Uh, say they've been out, like, slapping around the occasional tidbit of, uh, you know, well, they had a few unique monsters in here, like ghoul sturges and things like that outdoors that you might encounter. Well, ghoul sturges, oh, of course. The Zombier. Uh, you know, is not slow like a zombie, but may pretend to be so in order to deceive the party while approaching. And whispers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the animated corpse of a low-level magic user, and it can cast spells. Now, this was a dirty trick that is unique to this module. You did not see a lot of standard lower-level undead slinging spells. Only in Bone Hill did they do this, and there is an explanation for it in the course of the module. Yeah. It was the experimentations that had taken place uh, by someone quite specific, and it had resulted in uh, long, more conscious undead with a wider range of abilities. Uh, I don't know if that experiment panned out well as far as other people were concerned. Maybe uh, it just never got picked up by the rest of first edition uh, modules. No. But... It does make this a doubly interesting and curious adventure for players because they're encountering stuff they don't normally find. Yeah, skeletons and zombies casting spells, what the heck. Yeah, And up is down, black is white, I don't know this world anymore. You know, how does the skeleton voice words? The spirit of the soul lingers on. Hey, don't ask questions, just take that magic missile damage and shut up. A uh, skeleton walks into a bar and says... I'd like a beer <laughs> and a mop. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's why he only does one show a night. But he's here all week, folks. That's I present right. to you Mike Hanna. Enjoy the meal and tip your staff. They work hard for a living. Uh. <laughs> now, uh, the ruin itself actually has uh, watchers, like, uh, you know, guards on it. And if the party doesn't approach very sneakily, they will be spotted. Uh, and any use of bright lights or torches guarantees being spotted. Uh, Bone Hill, it's actually a tower with, you know, rooms. Well, a castle, Above yeah. and below. 
It is a true building, and they have provided this superb map uh, with each of the rooms outlined uh, in oh, an yeah. unusual fashion, because they did this uh, demarking them with letters, uh, so as to distinguish it from other areas which were marked in numbers. Yeah. Uh, so this one is, you know, like A through Z, you know, section A, section B. Yeah, the castle is obviously the, the main uh, approach point, which you see is, has lots of fireballs. Man, somebody went crazy with the fireballs out here. Yeah, lots of knockdown sections in the wall. And uh, it's infested with bugbears, which is why this module gets real tough. Yeah, this is why this is not for first-level characters. Because uh, if they were to accidentally stumble directly into this first, <sighs> frankly put, a batch of bugbears is going to... Put a bunch of first-level adventurers in the ground. Yeah, you're not going to have much fun with that. But you might adventure a little bit before, and what I'd like to mention now is kind of the meta plot. In here, there is a reclusive temple of priests of a god of random chance, which is revealed to be Noribo, which is another one of Len Makulta's gods, which is a kind of thieves' god of luck and just randomness. But the high priest is actually capable of raising the dead. Ah, uh, yes. And thank and, goodness. You know, if some misfortune does befall the party, he's willing to do that if the party would go into the ruins and recover a sacred chalice that makes holy water. That's kind of the meta plot you can weave in there. You're not required to do it. And, of course, you know, you could also go up and ask, hey, you need anything, help with anything? And, you know, you might be able to get linked into some kind of involvement with the uh, temple and do a quest for them. And they're more than happy to return favor and gold and spells cast. But the underlevels itself are very tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're not a kidding about that. There's a wraith lurking around uh, the remnant of the warlord who died here. And uh, he has not been idle. So you're going into an area by the wraith lord. <laughs> but also there's some hidden gems here, and one of the hidden gems is, is that there is a pair of spectators. Yeah, again... A strange uh, beholder camp. Very strange creatures similar to the beholder. Not not identical, and certainly different in temperament, uh, but from the, the same category of creatures, and instead of ten eye stalks, they just have four. Uh, and they're lawful neutral. And not psychotically obsessed with their own inherent superiority. They're treasure guardians. They're uh, yeah. This they, area was a long. It's kind of very hard to get at because you require spells like legend lore and others to peel back the layers on this onion. But this can provide the impetus for another adventure and further inquiries about finding these items. You can negotiate with the spectators. You don't have to fight them, and they're more than happy to just let the party hang out for a little bit, so they're kind of like a sanctuary, if you really need it. <laughs> but they are not, uh, they don't really are, besides being a little chatty, they're not going to give away too many clues, but they will let the party inspect the items, and if you can convince them in some way that their service is at an end, they'll leave, and then you get these items, which are kind of the makings of a staff of, or rod of thunder and lightning. Ah, yeah, the, the partial ingredients there, yeah, own, and which so, have value to a powerful enough magic user to make use of them, uh, although not the player characters at that moment. Uh, there are other interesting things here, too. There was a, 
a cluster of potions in a potion workshop. Oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah, the alchemy room where, unlike a standard po well, some of them were perfectly normal potions, uh, but several of them were failed mixtures. Mm -hmm. Similar to the intentions of the DM guide, yeah. when it explains what happens when you try to combine potions with multiple powers. Uh, like the potion of polymorph self crossed with a potion of vampire control. This one was a real discovery, but when tested it will give no indication of its nature other than a good feeling, or a warm tingling, or an unexplained desire. <laughs> uh -oh. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I like where this is going. No, uh, can we do this on the air? <laughs> uh, well, the very next thing the character mentions, however, is what he or she will become. Uh, character classes like magic user, fighter, etc. will not produce any change since profession is not a physical form. Uh, the effect will last for 2 to 12 days. Objects worn are allowed a save of 12 or better or they become part of the polymorph unless the altered form is one that wears a similar gear under normal circumstances. The polymorphed form still has the same mind but the abilities could be radically changed. If no form is named within 24 hours of game time, no transformation will occur. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was both potions still work. Yeah. But you got no warning on that polymorph thing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you could end up with a very unique player character out of that. Yeah. It, it, also, there's the uh, potion of gas form and longevity. Uh, or, sorry, gas form and invisibility. A... If you consume the whole thing, they become gaseous and then vanish. Uh, all items on you become gaseous as well. Uh, the character cannot communicate at all in this state. Vision is likewise slightly obscured. Hearing is impossible. Only taste and smell are fully activated. A vague sense of touch, especially temperature sensitivity, does exist. Uh, they can move nine or what is it nine or ninety feet per round. Slightly slower if penetrating a small hole, crack under a door, or etc. Uh, Twenty rounds later, the invisibility wears off and the cloud is visible. The cloud remains for another eight turns. It can be damaged by lightning and magical fire, and a whirlwind does double damage. Ouch. Yeah, unique potions. Uh, just showing what it's like when you're you know, sneaking around in some long-dead mage's workshop. You don't know what kind of weird stuff you're going to find. So yeah. you could come out of this with all kinds of oddball, quirky items. And again, it's throwing a monkey wrench to the player characters. Now, we've talked at length about how to play through this. And of course, your experience will differ, depending on your taste and your players. But, oh, uh, yeah. You, you know, we just kind of putting out there that there is kind of a narrative to be written here. And of course, let your players decide what they're going to do as well. They're the primary impetus. But don't be afraid to put breadcrumbs in front of them. I'll let them follow it, if they so choose. If you looked at the rumor table at the beginning of this module and you saw a rumor that you're like, well, what if that were true? You can always fill in the mm -hmm. blanks, uh, aside from the random areas around here where you can wander the forests and hills and dales and punch out bad critters uh, to your heart's content. Right. Uh, you could also take some little DM notes from those opening tables and those possible rumor charts that were handily provided for you. And expand on them. Take that in another direction. Like, well, maybe the players have embroiled themselves or offended important people by poking around where they don't belong. Because uh, this module does actually flesh out the castle itself. Yep, uh, and that leads right to L2, Assassin's Knot. Yes. Also a terrific module. 
However, not as much of a beloved classic as the original. Uh, oh, yeah, and, you know, more on that later, perhaps. But uh, we have walked the path of this and sat down a little bit how it would work and what the party composition that we kind of chose out for this. I think that that party composition would be really tough. You know, I could have went with the elf female thief, but, uh, whoa, boy, she's pretty tough, too. Anyway, we have... Uh, come pretty much close to our time limit, so I think oh. we've got everything done, but yeah, there's many hours of play other than just the ones we mentioned that can be gleaned from this. There's ogres. Yes, this is why we mentioned this one, because in the same spirit of Isle of Dread and Caves of Chaos, uh, this is, you know, point blank, it's campaign galore. There's room in this for a DM to keep players busy more than once, and Admittedly, that's more than you actually expected from a module. Yeah. You, when they released campaign setting stuff, you expected to have that kind of wide variety of material. But in a standard module, it was get in, get the job done, get out. Uh, like Tower of Inverness. Mm -hmm. Or as oh, yeah. we mentioned last week, White Plume Mountain. You know, these are standards where it's a dungeon bash and you get in there and you just have yourself a high old time. This was, in 1981, one of the first that really gave you a first edition AD&D uh, campaign setting in a single package. Yeah, it was a lot of bang for your buck. And you know what? We played the heck out of it. And yeah. we would revisit it several times throughout our uh, gaming career the, as a go-to place. The next one... Uh, you know, that was, I think, as comprehensive as this, but was aimed at much higher levels. Uh, probably Lost Caverns of Sacanth. Yeah. Because that was, it was a lot of meat on the bone, a great big package of adventure, all squeezed into one module, which, <laughs> Lord knows. Yeah, it was in two booklets that. coming with a mini monster manual. Yeah, they actually had an extra monster supplement included in the module because of the amount of material there. And this... Uh, you know, may not have been as comprehensive as Lost Caverns of Sacan, but for an opener for second to fifth level characters, just perfect. Yeah, it'll take you up to fifth level. It's two to four to start out with, but fifth level is probably where you're going to end up with, you know. And even that fourth level fighter, it's going to take them a lot of experience points to make, reach that crest. And having a fourth level fighter there allows you kind of that comfort zone of being able to throw some tough stuff like a couple of ogres that are hanging out there, or even making that Etten appear. There's a rumor about a two-headed giant, you know? Yeah, and <clears throat> there is no rule that says the DM can't make a rumor true if he or she exactly. feels like it. Just do as you see fit. But that's that was our pick. That's L1, The Secret of Bone Hill, Len Lakofka's terrific offering that we still look back on with great affection today. I hope everybody enjoyed. Yep, so we're going to be coming at you uh, next week with our last podcast of the year. Yeah, Friday. We're on Friday next week. We're going to skip But uh, we're, we're kind of taking a break. We're having some guest hosts come in. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. There's a couple guys that uh, wanted to show up, and we said, hey, you know, why don't you just run the podcast for us? So uh, what was your name again? Uh, oh, oh man. Uh, look, I, I want to apologize in, in advance for these guys. They're a little rough around the edges. Uh, but Clem and Clyde. The oh, Clem and Clyde. Okay, Clem yeah. and Clyde. The Dungeon Brothers. Yeah, uh, Dungeon Brothers. They're going to be and, doing uh, our end of your podcast. And here's the the good news, though, is crude they may be, but I'm going to tell you this about them. They are experts at dealing with 
unusual monsters in innovative ways with the tools that are available to them, okay? These are not your, your fancy-schmancy kind of guys who just, you know, they, they got to have all the right magical items so they're not going to tackle this. These, these are people who get it done however they have to. Right. So, you know, look forward to that. That's our, our only caveat. I, I, will, I will warn you, they're, they're a little crude and a little crazy. But, uh, yep, but we'll, you'll see them uh, next week on Friday. So, till then, have a great Christmas, and we'll catch you all later. But for right now, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.